Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with machine learning and artificial intelligence strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Nan Mulchadani, Chief Technology Officer, Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, Department of Defense. Sunil Mahaduri, Acting Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Rachel Martin, Director of Artificial Intelligence, Automation and Augmentation, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Dr. Gil Alterovitz, Director of National Artificial Intelligence Institute, Department of Veterans Affairs. Henry Sowell, Chief Information Officer, Cloudera Government Solutions. Nick Saki, Principal Technology Strategist for Public Sector, Pure Storage and John Dillon, Chief Executive Officer at Aerospike. Well, we're talking about artificial intelligence. We're talking about machine learning. There's billions of IT, IoT devices out there. We're hearing about Yoda bytes and Brono bytes and uh, certainly very advanced ways to transmit, store, and process data. And we've really entered into this age of performing artificial intelligence and machine learning, quite frankly, like never before. Uh, let's start with you, Nan, over at uh, the Jake, as they call it. Give us a top line state of the state. Great. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, as you said, there's just an absolutely uh, a ton of stuff going on. I mean, AI is such a broad area and space that it's hard to uh, speak about it in kind of one way, right? There isn't a, it's not a single technology. It's on a single set of algorithms. It's a, uh, a wide technology space and then the implementation space as well. So the way we're approaching the problem is uh, sort of uh, multi-dimensional. So let me sort of try to quickly take you through those. Sure. First is um, really understanding and differentiating between mature and emerging parts of AI. So when you think of data types, uh, things like uh, text or natural language processing or other sort of data types, we feel that many of the algorithms there are ready to scale. These are things that you can implement all day long uh, you know, with great, great business return. But as you get to some of the more interesting and harder things, things like full motion video object detection and things, those are still in research land. But at the same time, we're also now applying these things to things like tactical edge and, and war fighting all the way from, you know, business intelligence operations to uh, uh, warfighter health, to humanitarian assistance, disaster relief, to predictive maintenance, to war fighting. So the scope and scale of it is very hard. So what you've really got to do is take the mature parts and focus on implementing those very quickly to get the big wins. What that also does is helps you build out the infrastructure and the data pipelines that you need to enable a lot of the other cool AI stuff to happen. And one of the jokes that I always have is even though it sounds really cool to be at the DOD doing AI, most of the work that we end up doing is actually sewer and plumber work, plumbing work. So, you know, this is kind of a, a roto-rooter job, but it sounds really cool. But you have to lay those pipes and foundation before you can get to the, to the really cool piece. And the last thing I'll throw in there is around infrastructure and the Joint Common Foundation. So the other big job for the Jake is that we ourselves don't go to war. So our job is to enable every other part of the DOD to be effective. So a lot of our work that we do is building the foundational elements, like I talked about, the data elements, the infrastructure elements. And the JCF is built as a way of opening up and democratizing access to compute and data for our average, you know, warfighter or DOD employee to bring a AI project 
and we call them sort of citizen data developers or citizen data scientists to come in and do their work, which then opens up an entire you know set of folks who are actually working on AI as well. So Neil, how about it? Uh, customs and border protection. A lot of activity going on over there right now. Give us a top line state of the state. Sure, absolutely. We, uh, like, I think Nan was right on as to very similar to what Nan mentioned as to what we are doing also in that space within CBP. So I, I would classify from CBP perspective for AI machine learning into three, three or four broad areas, right? So as you know, uh, we are the largest law enforcement agency in the country. I mean, people will surprise 65,000 people keeping the country safe, there's nothing more important than that. So because of that, we are also a last, we do ingest a lot of data from not only data which we generate within, within CVP, with, uh, you know, our job is to keep the borders open and, and uh, legal, legal, uh, legal travel and legal trade. That, that, that's our main, main job. So because of that, we do generate a lot, a lot of uh, data. And we also ingest data from other agencies, uh, which, uh, which, you know, I can't go into that, but I'm just saying a lot of agencies also sending us data. Because of that, we do have tons of data which we can, uh, which we which we try and figure out as to what is going to happen next, right? So, so currently and even before, our main job was, hey, just make sure you're doing some transaction data. Data comes in, you're doing processing of that, and you move on. But that is changing dramatically for us too. So, AI machine learning is is uh, is one of the core competencies for us. And way we are doing that is I've divided that into like a few parts. So if you look at data in general, data, it can divide into like data engineering component, but like Nan mentioned, keeping the data ready so that somebody can consume that. There's a data science component to that, where you're looking at the scientists creating the models and, 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 you know, and the machine learning models you're building on top of that. So we have, we have component, component of that also. But the third one is, which is important, is the operational piece. And that's where we are going into, and that's where the challenges are and we are seeing, I'll give you an example of, think about the autonomous uh, driving cars, right? So th these cars, when you're driving, it has to come to a st stop sign. When you see a stop, it's supposed to stop. So there are a bunch of cameras who, who are doing the work for that, you know, and you're collecting the data, data, data together, but ultimately the whole car has to work, the brake has to work so that you, you come to a stop, right? So that's one of the components we're looking at. Operational thing, I think where the challenges are for us, I feel, we have also created what is the center of excellence, uh, center of innovation for, for AI and machine learning. And the reason we have done that is we did not have any standards for doing annotating data or tagging data. So we are in the process of doing that. So think about, like Luke mentioned with respect to the IoT devices, you know, we have non-intrusive inspections uh, for, from, the, from the border perspective. We collect a lot of data there, but if we, if we tag the data correctly and annotate data correctly, including, uh, you know, create models on top of that becomes an important, important, important for us. A lot of moving parts. And, a lot and, of moving uh, parts going on. A lot on of moving there. parts. And that's where we have challenges right now, Luke, because we are finding operational piece is the, where the difficult piece is. Collecting data, everything else is easier. We have lots of companies, a lot of different cool companies we work with who have off-the-shelf product which we can use. Sure. At, the end of, at the end of the day, the operational piece, the data, if, if you are putting in the data which you're collecting is not useful anymore. You are pretty much, you know, you're pretty much giving wrong information to our operators. So, so that's why- to make, make sure it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, you collect it all and that it's uh, very accurate. A lot of moving parts over there, CBP being right smack in the middle of the economy of the uh, United States of America, quite frankly, and globally. Rachel, how about over at National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, Yes, of course. Um, and, and it's it's interesting. Um, certainly one of our, our big challenges is that volume of data, um, not just, of course, you know, the, the geoint um, 
capabilities that the, the US government owns, but really the proliferation of commercial options in this area. Um, the We're, I think, at an inflection point where um, we simply can't keep up with um, the amount of information that we that we are that we're receiving, um, whether it's you know still still imagery or or as as non-referenced motion uh, video. There's just too much of it for us to be able to uh, rely on humans to to continue to process. And so, um, you know, investment in in AI technologies, or as we call them, NGA AAA AI automation and augmentation, um, is really a cornerstone of of the director's. Uh, uh, strategy for for achieving um, what he calls our, our moonshot, and um, you know, but I'll say it's it's interesting. You know, you think about what NGA receives for data, and of course, we immediately go to imagery or to pixels um, as sure. as the as the primary kind of data that we need to manage. But honestly, there there's actually a huge realm of other kinds of information, um, other kinds of data, less structured data that we still also need to manage. Um, I don't think we're unique. To DOD or the federal government in that respect, um, you know, beyond our um, role, you know, in terms of imagery, of course, we have other um, responsibilities that that we have to um, we have to meet. Uh, you know, a good example is uh, aeronautical publications. We're responsible for updating something uh, around two hundred and fifty thousand pages of updates to aeronautical instructions every month, and uh, for for DOD and and for other. Um, you know, aviation related uh, agencies in the federal government. And that's a tremendous amount of text to go through. So, you know, I, I think uh, it's important to, to highlight that it's it's not just an imagery, it's not just a motion uh, problem set that we're dealing with, but we also have unstructured data challenges just like I think everybody else does as well. Gail, tell us what's happening at VA. Yes, yeah, so there's a, a lot going on. And I, I think when we think about some of the ways that we're going about looking at that and leveraging that. We're creating and leveraging the uh, national uh, strategy. So that's uh, involving collecting and creating different use cases. There's uh, the data analytics work group of the Data Governance Council has been a way to engage and work toward an AI um, uh, strategy as well and to uh, gather inputs from uh, different, different, different offices and, and work together. Um, there's also uh, recently been a framework on trustworthy AI that came out um, nationally and that uh, across agencies and uh, mm -hmm. we're defining that uh, for what it means and, and how it can be leveraged uh, regarding uh, veterans and, and use cases there. So there are uh, kind of three areas that we're working on uh, overall uh, and across different offices that making progress in uh, that, that, you know, I've seen in the last, uh, last few months that are uh, going to enable uh, AI going forward. Uh, and these include a number of different ways uh, and, and platforms for uh, computing, uh, which is important, uh, you know, for artificial intelligence, so that different different types of use cases can be uh, can be taken on compared to what uh, may have been possible in the past. Uh, another area is uh, developing the workforce, both internally as well as recruiting from externally. Uh, that's very important to. It, it, actualizing uh, and uh, then eventually implementing uh, these uh, results. And of course, as was mentioned by one of the panelists, data is, is quite important and information derived from that data. And so leveraging, leveraging that within the VA and, and finding uh, ways of doing so that protects privacy of veterans, uh, whether it be when that data and different models are uh, used uh, to around these different use cases, 
uh, is important as well. And then as, as we look forward, there's uh, a, n- a number of different uh, new approaches and research going on into how those can be used. Uh, and then in making sure that that work can go very seamlessly into piloting and deploying so that those benefits can be seen uh, as soon as possible. We've stood up the AI tech sprint as one way to do that, to work with uh, industry and priority issues with uh, for veterans uh, and with veterans input and um, also uh, a veteran engagement board. Um, So those are some of the areas that we're starting to uh, make progress on and uh, seeing some initial uh, results as well. Henry, how about over at Cloudera? I know you're, you're, you're part of that solution to make that available for these agencies. What are you seeing across the uh, spectrum here? Yeah, everything that the panelists have said so far hits home for me, right? We're um, maniacally focused on on mission impact. And and so when you look at the full data management lifecycle that you have to do to be able to feed a proper data science practice, it's it's quite complex. So how do you manage scale? How do you manage uh, ingest? How do you make sure that you're prepared for data engineering? And, and like Rachel said, you have a variety of different pieces. So a lot of point solutions can address a part of that, but how do you bring it together? How do you ensure that it's governed and secured? These are all things that we're really focused on. Um, I think one of the interesting things that we've recently done here in the last uh, six months, we had a major partnership with uh, NVIDIA to bring um, GPUs and help bring uh, scale to that f- with our platform. And we're working with a government agency right now um, as a high priority item to take their existing uh, machine learning uh, training workloads and see what we can do. And we've already seen a three to five X improvement in performance. And, and when you really start ta- thinking about mission, that is actually just time to value, right? Like how do we um, uh, how do we iterate quicker? Because uh, when you look at a lot of these production workloads, um, you know, very few are actually making it to production. You're talking about uh, 35% actually make it to production. So how do you shorten that cycle so that you can continue to iterate and be successful? And that's some of our biggest focus, right? Nick, how about over at Pure Storage? Undoubtedly, you all must be on fire over there trying to store all this stuff properly, have uh, you know high-speed access uh, back into that capability. Tell us what's happening. What do you see from, from your vantage point? Thanks, Luke. We we recognized several years ago that the needs for dynamic data service in an, in an AI-driven enterprise uh, were going to be radically different than what legacy technologies had you know, heretofore been able to deliver. The, the scale, the volume, the velocity, the variety of data service and data access patterns in artificial intelligence infrastructures is, is simply radically different in terms of scale and velocity compared to you know, legacy database and virtualization workloads. So we created, along with NVIDIA, a, uh, a, an infrastructure platform called ARI, or Artificial Intelligence Ready Infrastructure, specifically suited to the types of machine learning and deep learning data access patterns. And data and AI architectures and machine learning operations is highly dynamic. A storage array isn't someplace where you, you dump data and it's never seen or heard from again. I think that if anything, the artificial intelligence era has taught us that not, you know, data is the new oil. Uh, and what we've built is a refinery for actually uh, accelerating the time to value and the time to utility of that data to improve uh, AI algorithm training and, of course, shortening the timeline to production. So we're very pleased that uh, that, that message has and that ability has resonated across the federal government and resulted in the adoption of, of dedicated platforms for doing this kind of work. Um, and we're seeing that broad that trend broadly 
uh, across uh, the entire industry or really the entire operational space for enterprise infrastructure. You know, in this architecture, data service has to be incredibly fast and agile, but it also has to be almost invisible. Uh, you want to get the infrastructure out of the way so data scientists can actually focus on building models, about delivering capability, about iterating the models, and, and training the AI. So you, you you need a better mousetrap to do this type of thing. Right. One really more thing focused. we've seen, and really the last thing is, this effort has really emphasized that the need for infrastructure and data movement has to easily span on-premises infrastructure and utility computing infrastructure or cloud. So you have to build a set of, of data services within the architecture or leverage them uh, so that you can seamlessly move your, your algorithms to the workload or algorithms to the data or move the data to the algorithms. It's much more efficient to move the algorithms to the data than it is to try and, and do the reverse simply because of data gravity. So you know, that's, that's been our focus is how do we enable this? And we've had a tremendously positive response uh, from a number of customers within uh, the national security space across the DOD and of course, We've been very successful in biomedical research and in other areas, and we're, we're just very proud uh, to have seen this coming and created the capacity for addressing this new type of workload. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Pure Storage is changing the government's IT experience. Pure helps customers fully leverage their data to meet their mission, all while reducing IT costs and complexity. And with Airy, Pure's AI-ready solution, powered by FlashBlade Storage and NVIDIA DGX servers, agencies get a simple, fast, future-proof and expandable infrastructure capable of meeting AI demands at any scale and without downtime. To learn more, visit purestorage.com AI. Data travels at the speed of light, moving past us in every direction. It's easy to feel overwhelmed in the chaos of it all. But what if you could take it all in? Refocus it. Filter it. Direct it. What would you discover? Something profound? Something beautiful? Something that moves you? The right data moves leaders and organizations to bring their vision to life. Cloudera. Data that moves you. Data is overwhelming many of today's federal IT infrastructures. So what are you doing about it? The Aerospike real-time data platform powers extreme-scale mission-critical applications at some of the world's leading IT organizations. Aerospike eliminates the trade-offs between high-performance scale and reliability that legacy solutions require. Aerospike, a better solution for powering critical data-intensive workloads in government at any scale. Visit Spike.com slash federal to learn more. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning. John, uh, tell us about uh, Aerospike. What is Aerospike? How do they fit into the ecosystem here? And what are you seeing across the community? Aerospike is a database engine that makes a lot of AI and machine learning actionable. And we fundamentally are dealing with a problem set that's pretty unique. This internet essentially has scaled the issues around data and how to use data effectively in ways. I think we all knew it was coming, but it's just hit us like a sledgehammer. And most organizations have a lot of data, data that's been collected over the years. And then they have data that's coming in in the moment right now. And fundamentally, there's lots of different ways you can use data, but you try to extract information from it that can be slowly extracted, or you try to deal with data that's new and deal with it in real time. And the issue is going from the edge back to the core. 
And that's the issue that Aerospike facilitates. As it was mentioned earlier, you've got a huge ingestion problem. If you think about ingestion problem, one of the IoT applications we're working on deals with an ingestion rate of 12 to 15 terabytes a second. That's an awful lot of data to sift through. And fundamentally, you can use algorithmic decisioning engines and their job is to decide what's the next best action. And we're talking about decisions being made in less than an eye blink. And for people who don't think in terms of milliseconds, an eye blink is 300 milliseconds. So you need to have a data engine that can basically handle transactions in microseconds. And that's just not where the technology's been. That's what Aerospike can do from the edge and back to the core. But some of the other issues that are being discussed today, it's very, very complicated to take some of the old technology that's good, combine it with new technology and make the whole system fit fit together so you can improve your intimacy with your constituency, provide a better service, whether it's with the VA, whether it's Department of Defense, it really doesn't make any difference. So that's kind of where we fit in this. Well, we always like to talk about a specific example. And uh, Rachel, I'm going to ask you to give us a specific example in regards to artificial intelligence and machine learning. Sure. So I'll, I will, um, I'll go back to the example I actually referenced um, earlier, because I think it's a really great example of um, of, of, of working in partnership, um, you know, uh, with industry and really uh, applying some best practices to uh, a problem set that is one that, I, again, as I mentioned, I think is not unique to us. And that is just the proliferation of unstructured text-based data that we all deal with um, on a routine basis. So uh, the, the problem that I had re referenced earlier is uh, this responsibility that NGA has to update aeronautical uh, publications. And um, just to give you a scope of what we're talking about um, is uh, information from approximately 200 foreign nation civil aviation programs. So wow. we're not only dealing with text-based data in, in English, we're de dealing with text-based language and occasion occasionally in other languages as well. Um, and like I said, that, that, that averages out to about 250,000 pages that our analysts had to review every month in order to make sure that there were no updates um, that, that, that would affect the safety, safety of navigation, safety, safety of, um, of aeronautical activity for, D, for DOD. Um, and, uh, you know, DOD is responsible for doing this every 28 days. Uh, and uh, it supports 13,000 aircraft. So this, the, the potential uh, damage from getting it wrong is pretty, pretty significant. Uh, and, and, you know, as a, as a labor intensive process, you know, it's also, uh, you know, ripe for potential, potential mistakes. Uh, so uh, NGA's AAA team partnered with uh, Amazon Web Services to pilot a text extraction machine learning model to start automating this activity. And it, ironically, COVID kind of helped in this respect. Everybody was home um, under quarantine. We, we weren't uh, operating our normal classified systems. And so we, we were really able to innovate by um, accessing technology you know, in an unclassified domain in a way I think perhaps we had not necessarily done in the past. Um, and, and the initial pilot was, was really quite successful. Uh, it's continuing, we're, we're looking at scaling at the moment to, um, to, to multiple uh, other countries. We started with just a handful. Um, and we're looking at something around 20,000 hours per year uh, saved in, in analytic time. Um, and you know something around in the order of millions of pages of text every year. So uh, I think this was a, just a really great example of, of, of using an existing technology that was readily available in industry um, that, that we, could, we could bring in and immediately apply uh, within very rapid order. I, I wanna say they, they, they went through the pilot and prototyping in about 
six months or so. Um, and, and so we look at that as a good example of, of where we can uh, save our analysts time to work on the things that are most important um, and let the machines do the work that, that is, you know, that is, that is uh, more routine. Henry, how about at Cloudera? Can you give us an example of a, a use case there uh, that would be of a, a, a great interest to the, uh, the listening audience that you all have been involved in? Yeah, one, one that I'm really proud of is um, our partnership with the Navy. Um, we've been working closely with them for uh, a number of years now on uh, predictive maintenance for uh, some of their airframes. And, and if you look at where we started, you know, they, they, the, um, these, these aircraft have put out a huge amount of data um, all, all the time. And when that was first happening, a lot of the data was, was falling to the ground. It wasn't being uh, leveraged for predictive analytics, it was, uh, for, for data science. It wasn't done... Uh, Pretty much anything, they would actually have people on, you know, you know that uh, you know a, a, a private would come out and fill out a, a handwritten checklist, right? Of did you do this thing? And the you know pilot says no, right? I didn't do that thing. And 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 what we ended up doing was leveraging the data where we could actually see the banks and turns and things that, that were happening while the vehicle was in the air, and and then what does that do to parts that are happening um, uh, uh, in the aircraft? And, and so instead of um, being down for, you know, a month at a time for maintenance, what we were able to do is leveraging the data, uh, realize that, hey, in, in, in two months, <clears throat> you're going to need this part so that we can um, keep that, that bird in the air. So instead of, uh, you know, a, a month down, you're talking about a week down for, for maintenance. And those predictive maintenance um, uh, use cases have been really successful. We're excited about what we've done with the Navy. So Neil, how about at U.S. Customs Border Protection? I know you have a lot of different activities. Give us one use case of something that you all are, are doing to, uh, to keep us all safe. Yes, yes sir. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Uh, from CB, CBP perspective, as I mentioned earlier, one of the, thing, one of the pieces which we were not doing, uh, not doing before was we're collecting a lot of data, but the data, as you said, is the kind of data we were collecting has is changing, right? Uh, we mentioned about some of the NLP-based data, some of the data which was more uh, video-centric data now, which we were not collecting a whole lot before. So think about the, some of the cameras and everything at, at the border which we are collecting information from. So from, uh, one thing we started to do, an example that I want to give you is that we started to annotate and tag the data now so that we can, we can look at the metadata on top of that and collect information and build some models on top of those uh, of, of, of the data we have so that we can figure out, okay, what is the, you know, as to, I can't go into some detail, but I'm just saying is that we're able to assess things better moving forward. And also it kind of helps our agents and officers to look at certain peak times on a certain different time as to what, 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 what that looks like. And, and it also the thing is other, this also plays into another piece, which is called the data, ethical data or ethical AI, which is also getting an interesting interesting position within CVP. We want to make sure we do everything correctly, you know, and think about uh, biometric pieces, right? We're collecting biometric information. How do we make sure we are biometric information is completely safe and, you know, and secure and things like that. So we, our models are built like that. So the whatever data we are collecting as of right now is mostly was pretty much transactional, but that is changing into more and more where we are doing using NLP and we are also using, you know, uh, video-based technologies. Other piece I want to tell you quickly, Luke, is another example we have is we're using also RPA, robotic process automation intelligence, so that uh, one example will be think about if you have email and 
uh, and email, you run a bot on, on email and you can actually bring all your common email, which you read a lot more on top of your inbox, right? So which is helping our execs and other folks to take advantage of that. So those are a few examples we're doing at CBP, lots to go. And uh, it recently, as you know, the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence came out a final report. A lot of good information to read from there. We are learning from that and then moving on. Nick, how about at Pure Storage? Uh, can you give us an example of a, uh, a, of a, uh, a solution that you all have been involved in that's uh, really uh, changed the game, so to speak, in regards to uh, any of these agencies? You know, the explosion in biomedical research, you know, patient care, and obviously disease tracking and COVID has, has uh, significantly ramped up. A lot of the data efforts, both on the, the, the cure finding as well as the patient tracking uh, across the country. And this, this actually ties into obviously several of the agencies that are here on, uh, on the call. Yeah, we, uh, we partnered with Health and Human Services who reached out to us to try and help address the explosion in data growth that they'd had, um, both structured and unstructured, as they were trying to wrap their arms around what this disease was, how it behaved, uh, unraveling its RNA, and then of course, how it was impacting the population. Um, so when you need really fast, really powerful, scalable, dynamic data service, you have to start looking at, at newer technologies that lend themselves readily to those you know, volume, velocity, and variety challenges. And that is really one of the reasons why you know, solid state storage is absolutely critical to this type of endeavor. And again, you know, it's, it's data movement. Um, you have to be able to integrate cloud-based data storage platforms, cloud-based data, I should say, uh, with your on-premises infrastructure and seamlessly interchange that data back and forth. So we, uh, we work together with Amazon on their Amazon Outpost solutions to be able to create an on-premises edge uh, type computing capability, uh, as, as well as shoring up the on-premises infrastructure of HHS to address those particular requirements and then support the data integration efforts across agencies, uh, not just integration, but data distribution. So there's you know, a ton of customers for this stuff. So the data has to be able to move seamlessly from organization to organization and it has to lend itself readily to the processing capabilities that those organizations have. So that's, you know, I kind of I like to think of what we do is we're, we're the freight train of data. Mm -hmm. We're what gets it to market um, yep. and enables the applications to, to adapt readily without having to replumb everything in order to, to take advantage of new data or new data types, new data services. So again, the focus then becomes not on the infrastructure, but enabling the application development, which really drives, you know, how well can... Uh, the agencies do their mission. Uh, to Rachel's point, you know, you're offloading a tremendous amount of work from analysts, as an example, when you can let machines start doing the initial triage or discovery of relevance of particular data. Well, you know, intelligence is, is a knowledge-based function. The outcomes are often unique, but the processes that go into it are, are often very general. So everybody's trying to look for answers. Everybody's sure. trying to solve problems. And our job sure. is to help make that happen. And, and, and the, the reality is uh, if those freight trains aren't delivering that data, then we're not processing any AI, uh, and that's for sure. Well, exactly. We've talked a couple of times about health, so I'm going to throw it over to you uh, over at uh, VA, Gil, and uh, give us an example of uh, uh, some activities that are going on over there. One example, if you would of uh, where you're using this AI. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, there, there are a number of different uh, examples really, but you know, if you think about it, uh, it's you know, in the healthcare area, as you were alluding to, there's a, a number of things all the way from kind of the, the plumbing as, as uh, Nan was uh, mentioning earlier to the, you know, to actual uh, diagnoses and, and so forth. So there is, for example, natural language processing that's uh, being used uh, in, in terms of submitting and, and processing uh, different 
different forms that allow, and allowing people to, and allowing essentially the detection uh, if someone qualifies for certain medical coverage. We're seeing that, uh, that one as well. Uh, there's uh, collaboration with the Department of Energy, also on, on new AI approaches uh, that are pl being applied and uh, leveraged for diseases like cancer, cardiovascular disease, and mental health as, a, as a currently uh, ongoing as a, as a pilot as well. So there's a, a number of different uh, use cases going all the way from uh, research to pilot to uh, production use. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is kind of like moving that uh, across those different uh, use cases and moving them forward. So, um, yeah. John, how about an Aerospike? Give us one example of where you all have uh, uh, implemented something or been part of implementing something that uh, enabled part of this ecosystem. I'll provide one example without being very specific. And this is uh, essentially in credit card processing, which is mm. not necessarily related to the federal government, but the intimacy and the accuracy of doing something like that in real time. We have a client that um, when a business transaction comes in, like you're buying a latte at Starbucks, um, some guy is standing in, at the counter, your credit card's in the machine. And this is the thing you might be surprised, a single business transaction has to go full circle in 750 milliseconds. So that's the two and a half eye blinks. Mm -hmm. And in this particular case, the algorithmic decisioning engine has to decide, is it fraud? Is it not fraud? And you've only got about a, less than a half a second to make that decision. And these are decisions made under conditions of uncertainty. You don't know everything. So this particular client has a massive data store, combs through it in slow, sometimes glacier speed to find nuanced relevance, finding intelligence that then you can push back to the edge to make it actionable. So when that business transaction comes in, believe it or not, the algorithm does 250 database reads and writes, turns that whole thing around, and in so doing was able to reduce the incidence of fraud by 30x, 3,000%. And it's because they used more data. And in this particular case, they started out with only about 10 terabytes of data under the real-time decisioning engine. And they've moved that up to close to 200 terabytes of data, all being actionable in a split second. And that's a, a remarkable use of data in this sort of transitioning period of time where civilian and, and government agencies are really trying to harness the data they have. It's really important stuff. Uh, well, we're gonna take another short break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News network. Data is overwhelming many of today's federal IT infrastructures. So what are you doing about it? The Aerospike real-time data platform powers extreme-scale mission-critical applications at some of the world's leading IT organizations. Aerospike eliminates the trade-offs between high-performance scale and reliability that legacy solutions require. Aerospike, a better solution for powering critical data-intensive workloads in government at any scale. Visit Aerospike.com slash federal to learn more. Data travels at the speed of light, moving past us in every direction. It's easy to feel overwhelmed in the chaos of it all. But what if you could take it all in, refocus it, filter it, direct it? What would you discover? Something profound? Something beautiful? Something that moves you? The right data moves leaders and organizations to bring their vision to life. Cloudera. Data that moves you. 
Pure Storage is changing the government's IT experience. Pure helps customers fully leverage their data to meet their mission, all while reducing IT costs and complexity. And with Aerie, Pure's AI-ready solution, powered by FlashBlade Storage and NVIDIA DGX servers, agencies get a simple, fast, future-proof and expandable infrastructure capable of meeting AI demands at any scale and without downtime. To learn more, visit purestorage.com AI. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about AI and machine learning, and we've been talking about uh, specific use cases. And I certainly want to throw it up to uh, the Jake and ask Nan, uh, give us an example of a, a use case uh, that the Jake has been able to implement that, uh, you know, has been of uh, the betterment of DOD or the, uh, the community at large. Sure. Uh, actually, let me give you a couple more than one because um, uh, we've been very busy. So uh, the first one I'll talk about is, uh, so we've got basically six verticals, uh, 30 plus products across six verticals that we're building. Um, so we've got use cases across the whole gamut there. Uh, the first one I'll highlight is business process transformation as a vertical, which actually our, our very own Rachel Martin actually ran before she uh, you know, went over to the NGA. So uh, one of our absolute successes, a uh, product called Game Changer, which is really focused on think of policy and text documents and being able to ration, you know, build intelligence reasoning on top of it. Got 2000 plus users on the system. Um, and it's actually multiplying like, like rabbits out there in terms of, uh, you know, new clones of Game Changer being applied to different use cases. So just a phenomenal use case there. Um, Joint information warfighting, uh, basically, we used to call that the you know cybersecurity. We've got a product called Mad Hat that's been deployed really around network intrusion detection and uh, and working. Um, we've got joint logistics. We've got a project Salus that we actually built uh, in the early days with uh, Northcom and the Guard uh, around uh, predictive capabilities in terms of resource shortages and other pieces there. We've got an augmented uh, reality microscope that we built in um, working with the Defense Health Agency uh, around detection for uh, eight types of uh, cell, uh, you know, uh, problems uh, and diseases uh, based off of the 55 million tissue samples that the Defense uh, Health Agency actually has, one of the largest troves of data out there. And we're basically mining that information and data to uh, enable that. Uh, joint force protection, we have a project called Gargoyle that's focused on uh, full motion video object detection at low altitude. Uh, I can keep on going, actually. Um, the, the core point that I'd make here, though, is that the products that the Jake builds are really intended to be Pathfinder projects that develop core IP and force us to build things like data pipelines and infrastructure and things that we can then proliferate across the DoD. So our core goal is once we've figured something out, like Game Changer is a great example, is to basically build that IP and give it away so it can get scaled out there. Because at the core point, I mean, as you've seen across this whole discussion, pretty much all of the base layers of problem sets are pretty much the same, right? The vendors that, that are on the call, I mean, are really providing us with all the great technology that we can leverage and build, but we have to go through the data processing and the other uh, basic work to enable all these other pieces. So the products that we're building at the Jake are really intended as uh, enabling us to build core IP. And over time, the Jake is really now turning its, its work towards, instead of doing product development, 
really enabling all the agencies to go do this themselves, right? Teaching them how to fish and different ones are at different layers of maturity. I mean, Rachel's now gone off and she's got the NGA under great control, but then there are other agencies that we need either Jake alumni to go over or, right. you know, to help them basically uh, enable this stuff there. Rachel, let's start with you. Uh, top priority for this year. Thanks for the, the kind shout out. And, uh, you know, our top priority for this year is, is really um, getting our data, getting our data house in order. Um, as we've worked through uh, mission sprints, which is our prototyping efforts and some of the other lines of effort that we have, um, what we've noticed is at the heart of every problem is, is usually some sort of data, something related to data. Um, and so uh, for us, it's, a, it's, it's not just a problem of data in-house. We also need to um, then be able to deliver that data to, to decision makers and to warfighters. And we have to do it quickly and accurately. Uh, and frequently we have to do it to very remote locations. And so our problem is somewhat complex in the way we manage and deliver data. So that's one of our top priorities for, for this year. And the other one is also um, this idea of um, taking, taking the um, areas where we've identified challenges such as data and building out an enterprise infrastructure that supports that. I think um, we've had a lot of great success with smaller projects, but taking, um, taking those successes and being able to make them um, enterprise, you know, deliver enterprise capabilities is another top focus. And, and that, that includes things like, um, you know, algorithm governance, uh, uh, you know, all the way to um, uh, enterprise data management practices. So those are our, our core focus areas. So Neil, how about uh, top priority for you in regards to machine learning and AI? Yeah, no, thank you, Luke. Yes, definitely. I think the challenges we are facing is very similar to what everybody is talking on the panel here. I think like uh, someone mentioned about 30, 35% of the project which are, are, are working on AI machine learning actually goes into production. So we, we, are, we are very similar to that. Uh, we are trying to change that model and trying to put trying to put some of these um, models into production. It's not easy, like, you know, like people are mentioning the, so the data challenges and ingest challenges, creating the model challenges. So what we are seeing is, as, as we have mentioned earlier, is I'm create, we are creating what is a center of excellence uh, for all of CBP for AI machine learning. And I, I think we are hoping there, how do we, uh, the, the challenges we have there is, we're trying to figure out what do we buy off the shelf or what do we develop ourselves? As you know, skills, skill sets within the industries not easy to find good data scientists and, and very quickly there's a lot of demand for them. So uh, if we are like everybody else is struggling to get the right skill set. So I'm hoping that moving forward, we can actually produce, uh, uh, we can produce more and more of these uh, uh, products, I would say, either either working through the industry or also working internally with, with, with our own, uh, with an old skill set. And I'm hoping that moving forward, that from, from broader perspective, what we are, we are responsible for is that we make the main goal for us is to make our life easy for our operators. That's the number one goal. So whatever tools we give them has to work, has to be secure and things like that. So challenges for us, Luke, I would say moving forward is how do we take the data, what we have, all the tools, what we have, actually make it operational. That's the number one challenge we have right now. Gil, how about a VA? Top priority for you this year? Uh, right. Great question. So uh, in terms of uh, priorities uh, this year, we're uh, really uh, focusing on uh, collecting and understanding the different uh, use cases to uh, around artificial intelligence uh, that are ongoing, collecting and uh, analyzing those use cases so that we can uh, apply trustworthy AI to ensure that these use cases uh, that uh, end up being uh, leveraged uh, are developed to meet these uh, principles. 
There's also uh, the uh, certain areas that uh, we're uh, looking at uh, at the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the VA, uh, focus areas such as deep learning, explainable AI, privacy preserving AI, uh, as I mentioned, trustworthy AI, and finally, multi-scale AI analysis. Non, how about your number one priority at the Jake this year? Got a lot of stuff going on over there. Yeah, so we've got uh, a number of number of number one priorities. Give us your top um, dog. The, so just like Gil said, I think, uh, you know, the Jake's now about two years old, and mm -hmm. we're now at a point where uh, we, you know, we feel we've had enough Pathfinder projects across a multi-dimensional set of data types and use cases and things to understand generally what the scope of the problem is. Uh, Congress just recently tasked the Jake uh, you know, with a uh, pretty big job to inventory, just like Gil pointed out over at the VA, is to inventory what's actually going on in AI across the DOD. So one of the things we're going to be, we're working on very hard is once we have this inventory, we now understand, you know, we're going to apply basically an intelligence layer on top of it of uh, who's where, you know, in terms of the maturity of different services and agencies, uh, where we need to focus our attention in terms of either assistance or getting out of the way in, in other cases. Uh, and then there's a, a second thing of, uh, I have a very big bias on sort of a lot of the work going on in the AI world today is what I really call sort of focus on narrow AI problems, right? So these are all the building block foundational uh, mm -hmm. areas around specific use cases or specific data types. The real interesting stuff for us at the DOD, I believe comes in the second and third wave of uh, really things around like modeling and simulation, uh, reasoning and intelligence, which is on another dimension, if you may. And that's where we're starting to do work around uh, things like, you know, commanders, uh, you know, co-generation or uh, things like targeting and other pieces there, which become a lot, lot more complicated. They're built on the basic sort of narrow AI building blocks, but deploying things like AI to the tactical edge in a denied degraded environment, right? You're dealing with UAVs with hardware. You're dealing with uh, very sophisticated algorithms uh, crammed onto a very small, uh, you know, system with battery packs and, and limited CPU and memory, um, the communications models, et cetera. So these are all bigger, bigger problems that we have to think through that are really going to deliver sort of that next gen of, of stuff after we're done with the basic AI pieces. Uh, that's another big area. So we have to sort of chew gum and, and walk at the same time of getting the stuff done that's easy but then setting ourselves up for the sort of next gen uh, use cases that uh, is really where I think the, uh, the real exciting stuff comes. All right, well, we're gonna wrap it up with this last question and I'm gonna start with you, Sunil, over at Customs and Border Protection. You know, fast forward a couple of years, what does it look like out there in this environment? How do you see the use of AI and, and ML uh, maturing inside of CBP to uh, once again, keep our, our country safe? Absolutely. Look, so what we're expecting is, uh, I think the, the the trend is moving very, very fast uh, towards uh, this model of AI machine learning. Every, every product you're looking at, every vendor we talk to, AI ML is the discussion point for everybody across the board. And uh, so what we are seeing is, is that uh, data in general is, 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 you know, is expected. The data, is, any format should be able to be, should be ingestion matter. But the models we are expecting from, especially from the industry, is that they are providing us these common, some common element and common some of those uh, uh, AI machine learning uh, learning models 
which which can be applicable to across the board, right? We can issue where we take it one area uh, within CVP and move it somewhere else, and so that everybody looking in the same with, with the same uh, uh, with, with the same eye, right? I, I, I'm a traveler. I also can can also be an importer, also, right? How do we make sure that the same person is what we are looking at and what the person profile looks like across the board? Learn from that. Some of those, some of those, uh, uh, some of the data sets is what we are expecting, and the and the vendors have become extremely, extremely good now. We are seeing some of the companies we are working with, they are going toward this convergence of some of those uh, data types, right? Earlier, if you have the buckets of data, you're doing transactional data, or you're doing non uh, like non non uh, non structured data as to what that looks like, right? But now we everything is combined together. It should not matter. We are creating the large delta lakes, and these lakes are should be able to create the models for us. I'm hoping that becomes a norm more and more uh, as, as as we move forward. And our, our data strategy moving forward, CVP is, is is also working towards that. So you will see some of those pieces. I'm hoping that, as I mentioned earlier, that we can take some of the data and make it more operational. Help us for that perspective from the vendor community is 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 what we are we are we are, we are looking forward to. John, uh, what does it look like uh, over the next couple of years? What what are, what are the customers signaling to you? that we can expect to see in uh, perhaps the next two years? Well, there's a couple of issues that are happening all at the same time. There's the data provenance uh, in AI that's really important. And yet at the same time, trying to make sure that you're sourcing the data from the right places so that you don't inject bias into the decision-making that a decisioning engine will make. And at the same time, you're trying to, if you will, delight your end user constituency, creating a greater degree of intimacy, you know, approving a credit card transaction, routing the person to the right next session. You remember somebody, what do you know about them? What can you know about them? And pushing this back and forth from a core, you know, with many, many petabytes of core data, taking and extracting that information and pu again, pushing it out to the edge to use it actionably in real time. And one just quick comment, in our personal lives, we don't compartmentalize the experience we get when I personally use the VA as a retired veteran or when I'm doing an online banking transaction with my local bank. I don't care which vendor I'm dealing with or what service I get, but I expect them to be good. And this constant CICD thing, constant innovation and constant deployment mm -hmm. is something that everyone is all about right now. And I think this is, we're just pushing the beginning, I think. And I think the next two or three years is gonna be really exciting. Nick, how about a pure storage? What are you seeing out there? Uh, you know, you guys are doing a fantastic job laying down the technology, staying in front of the, the curve. What's it look like in a couple of years? Well, I, we think what we see is that the rise of really data science and the focus on uh, delivering outcomes is really changing how enterprises, every organization, federal government, commercial, et cetera, is, is really thinking about data. So what we're, what we're focusing on is, is this transition or rather the rise in prominence of data management, data service integration, uh, data as a service and data infrastructure, becoming a central pillar of AI-driven organizations, uh, particularly with the rise of, of AI-driven organizations, because we're going to have to figure out strategies for implementing our data strategy and the mechanisms for doing this. We're seeing a tremendous focus. What are the speed, speed protocols, et cetera, under, underpinning all of its data? wherever and whenever and however they want to at the edge, at the core, and, and at the velocities that, you know, emerging 5G technologies, as an example, are, are going to deliver uh, to agencies and organizations. So that's our focus going forward is, is really how do we build a better framework for data integration from top to bottom. Henry, how about at uh, Cloudera? Uh, what, what's it look like over the next couple of years? You know, what, what are you all going to provide 
as far as that ecosystem to allow these agencies to do what they do. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's in- interesting the the path ahead. You know, we talk to a um, a lot of different government customers and work with them in different parts of where their journey is and where that's going. Right, we see some that it, we have to get core fundamentals down. Right, um, uh, data preparation, data engineering that has got to get and they've got to start at that ground level to make sure that uh, machine learning AI is ready. So that that's on their near term roadmap. And then I think the next is how do you productionalize uh, machine learning AI? So we talk about you know thirty. 30- 35% aren't, aren't uh, are, are only making it to production, right? That's kind of like what Nan was saying, those building blocks, right? You got to get those fundamentals down, um, whether it's come from uh, data engineering, data warehousing, um, the full data uh, uh, pipeline, right? How do you collect it? How do you deliver it? How do you make sure that it's ready to go? Um, all of those things, I think that productionalizing, I think that's the core of the, the near-term future is getting that piece together, that full uh, data management side managed so that, that you're prepared for it. And then I'm really excited what Nan said, that third wave, right? And that's the that's the pieces that, you know, we're we're here at Cloudera focusing on is how do we start doing, you know, streaming AI? How do we start operating at the edge? How do we start making things, making better decisions and, and doing something that is much more forward leaning? And I'm really excited about that over the next few years. Gil, how about over at Veterans Affairs? Uh, you know, if I'm a freshly minted vet in a couple of years or a 30-year vet, you know, what does that look like to me uh, in, in a couple of years from now? What do you guys got cooking over there? Right. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the things that were said by the people of other agencies, we're going to see a number of those, uh, whether it be, um, you know, faster service, you know, for veterans, whether it be uh, more cost efficient service, uh, also uh, better quality service. Um, I think we'll see this, especially uh, in business processes at first. Uh, and with time, um, more and more throughout uh, medical care. So at the VA, there are medical facilities across the country. Some may be, some are in uh, rural uh, areas, and uh, there are different places where uh, uh, working at the edge may be uh, beneficial for uh, AI to uh, deploy, where uh, either uh, network connectivity or other factors uh, may play a role uh, in transferring uh, and, and transporting data and, and, and so forth. Uh, so there's a lot of those technologies can really uh, make a difference in the upcoming uh, years. Rachel, how about at uh, NGA? What does it look like there in regards to a couple of years from now? What can we expect? So NGA, um, of course, everyone knows is an intelligence community agency, but it's also a combat support agency. And um, uh, NGA's vision for the future is encapsulated in what um, we call the director's moonshot. And that's simply stated, and there's some key words here that are worth focusing on. Uh, in, in two to five years, we will deliver trusted GeoInt with speed, accuracy, and precision so that we can hold at risk um, forces our adversaries may deploy against us um, that threaten the United States and our allies. And that, that that's... Um, Within that broader, you know, goal um, or vision for the future is, uh, you know, four focused initiative areas that that uh, we will be looking at to achieve that that moonshot. And they're uh, assured position, navigation, timing, and targeting. Um, what what do you do if GPS doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Um, accelerated tasking orchestration, uh, data access and integrity, and analytic workflow modernization. 
um, we woven throughout all of these focus areas, of course, is an implicit um, understanding that AAA technologies, that AI automation, augmentation, human machine teaming are will be there to allow us to achieve um, to achieve in these areas. And so, um, uh, AAA, the office, uh, our focus over you know the next two to five years will be doing everything we can to accelerate the adoption of, of these technologies so that we can achieve um, the director's moonshot. Non, how about at uh, the Jake? What, uh, what 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 can we expect in a couple of years? Are we going to have a Jake 3.0, a 4.0? <laughs> well, I guess uh, we got to keep the version number. I couldn't uh, resist. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know, I spent 25 plus years in, in Silicon Valley before coming to the DOD. So, you know, government service and the DOD is relatively new to me. Um, you know, so fundamentally, there's sort of two big things I'll talk about. One is um, uh, uh, some of the things I talked about in terms of the second and third wave of AI, the way we're sort of thinking about where it's going to get deployed. Obviously, AI is going to be everywhere in a couple of years, right? So it'll it'll be like the internet or mobile devices, et cetera. It's, it's ubiquitous. But the big areas of focus for us to set the seeds for, for what's coming is um, there's sort of a hyper-local focus on AI that I call autonomy. So when we're thinking of the tactical edge, that's really the investments in IP that we're building to allow things like uh, you know AI for small unit maneuvers, for things with SOCOM or uh, JSOC or other things where you know, you've got units on the ground in a, in a, in a tactical edge you know, deployment what are all the AI pieces that are needed, you know, and systems needed to, to enable that? The other big thing going on at the DOD are, are projects like JADC2, right? Joint All Domain Command and Control. We're redoing literally end to end the entire command and control structure, all the way from uh, Rachel's, you know, Intel inputs, all the way to uh, targeting and, uh, uh, you know, basically uh, a target, you know, uh, sensor to shooter type uh, uh, systems. So those are really where we're going to apply the, 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 the sort of AI technology. Underpinning all this, what you find is we at the DOD, just like any other large enterprise out in the world, we have a huge amount of technical debt that we've accrued over the past yeah. uh, you know, 10 to 15 years. So our infrastructure model, and that includes data and other pieces, are unfortunately in a state that don't enable us to do rapid uh, you know, marginal cost development of software. So software in and of itself is a discipline, right? There are uh, economics in terms of running software projects and how you deliver this at the right cost, at the right timing. And this discipline and understanding needs to be brought to bear because we operate at such scale. And so for instance, today, uh, I call this, I'm sort of well-known in the DOD for talking about this, is sort of the snowflake architecture problem, right? So we've got hundreds and hundreds of little, little apps running around the DOD, but they're not integrated into platforms. And the stuff, for instance, that Rachel would be driving at the NGA, right, is GeoInt as a service. This model where we have all of these different services that are being delivered at scale, right? With the right you know, uh, security, with the right uptime, with the right performance and other things. So the average AI developer or developer inside the DOD can write an app without having to spend millions of dollars, right? So the marginal cost has to go down over time. We just don't have the infrastructure for it. So with the backdrop of sort of autonomy and automation, you know, the two big things, there's this infrastructure refresh and data refresh change that we need to go through. And if we can achieve these in the next couple of years, uh, for us, that's the entire competitive game, which obviously is now focused on, on China and, uh, and you know, other peer competitors who are going to be driving 
the same level of technological changes in their infrastructure there. I want to thank all of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules today to join us for this program. We know how super busy everybody is these days. I'd like to thank our sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at the Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that are tuning in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.